Hey, everyone. This is Rod Morgenstein from the Jelly Jam, the Dixie Dregs, Winger, Jazz is Dead, and the Rudis Morgenstein Project, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey listeners, Scott here. And Richie. Welcoming you to another episode of Focus on Metal as our summer of drummers continues. Yeah, <laughs> more drummers. Uh, drummers, drummers, and more drummers. It's, just the, way, it's just the way the cards have uh, laid out in front of us. I, I don't suppose. know. Yeah, we are just on beat for the summer. I don't know. Uh, All right, yeah. I'm going to stop the tacky drum yeah, metaphors after this. No more this. puns. <laughs> All right. Anyways, there, uh, our guest this week is uh, Rod Morgenstein. So, uh, Richie, you hooked this one up. So, uh, good interview we had with Rod as... Again, we continue our summer of drummers. Yeah, well, Rod is out. Um, they're out now touring. He's touring with the Jelly Jam. And for anyone unfamiliar with the Jelly Jam, uh, it's Ty Tabor from King's X, uh, John Myung from Dream Theater, and Rod. And they've been doing albums for 15 years, I think. And uh, they're one of these bands that every four or five years, they, they all get together, release an album. Mm-hmm. Um the thing with me, I got the first one, okay, and at the time, uh, all the King's X guys started to do a gazillion projects, and like Doug Pinnock was do- started doing a ton of them, so I just didn't get them all. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, because Doug had a solo album, then he did Pound Hound, with, and he'd done two albums with them, and then he'd, he'd Super Shine with uh, one of the guys from Trouble, and then Ty went and did solo albums, and then he, he did Platypus, and, and I was like, I, I, can't, I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> it was as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I don't actually have all the Jelly Jam albums, um, but they're going out on tour for the first time. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to the show uh, in the Tupelo. Yeah. And depending on when you listen to this, like we, we normally post this on a Wednesday, it's, it's on the Thursday I'm going. Yeah. So it's a 200-seater venue. It's really, really small. Um, it's going to be an interesting gig for me because one of these bands that I thought I'd, I, you know, the projects, all these projects, yeah. they never play live. Right. And um, this is one of them that it's taken a while, but the guys are super busy. Like yeah. John, Dream Theater are always out. Yeah. And, you know, Rod Rod teaches and, you know, he plays winger shows and, and like Ty has, has got a studio, so he's probably producing a lot. He's doing dates with King's X and they just happen to... Yeah. I think they're like 12 or 13 dates. Yeah. Uh, nearly all on the East Coast or um, may- maybe some Midwest shows. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's it. But it um, should be an interesting gig. Yeah, yeah. Tupelo is an interesting place. Bring your own bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, um, it's really small. Uh, but the sound in there is pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, every so often they'll have these... Uh, some of these bands will come through. That oh, yeah, Sh- Shanker played up yeah, there. Yeah, they, they might normally play like 800, 1,000, uh, you know, clubs, and they'll get them in there for 200. Like, I saw the Winery Dogs in right, there. Right, right. Um, King's X played there. Um, Y&T. Y&T have played there a few times, Living Colour. Um, it's great seeing bands in venues like this. Yeah. Um, I know Doro Pesh is playing there in September. Yep, yeah. Um, which should be an interesting gig. Maybe we'll uh, we might take a trip up for that. But um, yeah, so that should be good, you know. Yeah. But um, let's uh, 
chat chat about something else just for well we have a few minutes before sure. we get into the interview. I think this year seems to have been the uh, uh, the resurrection of uh, Axel Rose. I th- <laughs> I, with a lot of people, you know, dying. I think this year is definitely it's been Axel Rose's year. I have to give respect to the guy. I when you look at what happened with ACDC, um, you can't really fault him for any of it because none of it was his fault. Oh no, no, it wasn't any of his fault. But it's I had I got the um, uh, I got the field report from the GNR show at uh, at Gillette. What what did you hear? And uh, so, this is Guns and Roses, by the way. This isn't ACDC. Right, right, Guns and Roses. But uh, but um, uh, my buddy Saul told me that uh, guitar wise. Awesome. Like Slash was just on fire the whole night. Just really good. Duff, really good. Uh, Richard Fortas, really good. And uh, then they said Axel. Well, first thing they said with Axel was, holy crap, that dude got fat. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was that, yeah, he just really can't sing the songs like he used to. They said that all the the, the musicians, though, they really saved the night. You know, that Slash was really bringing it and... uh, but they said, yeah, the the one letdown was just that, just Axel, just like show wise and and voice wise, just wasn't the wasn't, you know, wasn't the same. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I really, I, I'm not surprised. What, he must be mid pushing mid fifties. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how well he's looked after his voice over the years. Um, he's doing, he's, he is doing a lot of shows. Huh? If he's not doing shows with. Guns N' Roses, he's doing shows with ACDC. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's taken a toll. Because he used to have, it was only G&R, and he used to do shows, take breaks with G&R. Now it's, he's bouncing, I think, from from one to the other. Yeah. Um, but I got to respect the guy, especially with ACDC, because he sounds pretty good doing the ACDC songs. I hate what's happening with the band. Yeah. I think... With Cliff Williams announcing now that he's going, I think Angus Young should just l- let it go. Yeah. Um, but with Axel coming in, they've pulled out some songs they haven't played for years. Well, like that's what's Raff. cool is they are playing some songs that they normally wouldn't play. So for fans to get at least get to hear some songs that either they've never heard or they haven't heard in you know twenty some odd years, probably even more than that for some of these songs. Um, that's that's very cool. I think I think Axel must be pushing for those. Yeah, yeah, maybe if he is. You have to. I, I'll, you know, kudos to him because yeah. a lot of those songs are are iconic, and they just haven't played them. Well, in I mean, years. he's a fan, right? So, I mean, you got a fan that goes out and is is singing with the band, you know? The, yeah, so maybe maybe he is pushing for that, which is cool. Like I said, I I love the fact that they are going out and just pulling out these things out of their catalog. I think that's, you know, if you're not getting the Brian Johnson experience, at least you're getting something else that that is kind of a you know. Maybe once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, I think maybe Brian couldn't sing him. There might be an element of truth to that. That Axel can sing those songs and and Brian just couldn't. Well, yeah, it could be, but also, you know, he comes in and and you know, you can uh, get such a huge album out of Back in Black that you can do a show that is almost entirely that album plus a few other songs. You know, and and then the catalog just built from there and the, the next albums after that, they each had one or two songs off it to add to it. So they didn't really have to do much of, you know, the old songs besides like TNT or uh, Whole Lot of Rosie or The Jack or, you know, 
uh, but not like a fast-paced thing like Riff Raff. Yeah, or I think they pulled out If You Want Blood as well. Yeah, there's another one that's got a you know a certain tone to it that you have to have. That yeah, that suits his voice pretty good actually. Yeah, I think what he's done with ACDC um, is pretty good actually. Yeah, um, I've seen some of the clips of him singing the songs. He's he nails it. Yeah, um, doesn't mean I'm go- you know I'm still not going to go, but for the people that do go, it's a good show. Like he started off sitting down, <laughs> he's moving around a bit more, yeah. and um, with the G and R thing, it's. Um, they got Stephen Adler up for uh, one of the shows recently as well. Yeah, that's um, cool. No sign of Izzy Stradlin. Yeah. Um, but you have to think with it with Guns N' Roses, when this is over, he can't bring the old band back. Well, he had Richard Fortas and the other band too. Yeah, but I think if Slash decides to leave, yeah, um, or maybe even if Duff stays, would you would you think the fans would? accept him going forward with Richard Fortas and someone else? I mean, fans were buying tickets before, before they had, you know, anybody else that was in the original band. Yeah, but they weren't stadium fillers in the U.S. anymore. They no, are now. No, but yeah, I don't. I just don't see it continuing. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it depends on Slash. Um, <laughs> I think he's probably on a good retainer there because... He's doing the Chinese democracy stuff. Yeah. And he might, I think he might say he's happy doing it, but part of me thinks like, you know, he he, he recorded all these songs with guns, three albums worth, and, yeah. and they're doing Chinese democracy and a couple of other songs on that album. And you think he's, okay, I, I kind of got to <laughs> do this, the paycheck's good. Yeah, I'm sure there's some contractual obligation there. And, and uh, so, yeah, he's going to be professional and suck it up and go out there and do it. Yeah. But he's got his own career. You that's know? Tr- he's true. He's he's uh still has plenty of other stuff he can do, so he's definitely not tied to that. Yeah. So do you think Izzy's gonna show up at all? No. I don't think he is. I, I think, seriously doubt it. I think he would have done it by now. Yeah. I think there's demons there that he doesn't even want to approach. Yeah. Um yeah. I think he's been, you know, clean and sober for a long time. And if if you've read any of the biographies on the band, yeah. he was big time into it and yeah. he probably wants to stay as far away from that circus as he can yeah probably even though they're probably all more or less clean and sober now but you know all it takes is uh, one wrong turn and yeah well, I just you know if he does it's probably going to be like maybe the last show or something like that yeah it would be cool though if the, the original five got up there it would Um, I can't see it happening though yeah I, I kind of couldn't find it odd though that Stephen played one show. You think, and he can't. He only played a couple of songs. Um, to find that a bit odd, like you can obviously still play the drums. Yeah. Why would wouldn't they get him to do the whole tour? What's the problem there? Don't know. Can't be money because if you're filling seventy thousand seater stadiums, you can afford to pay Stephen Adler. I don't think Stephen Adler would ask for much. I think he'd be happy to get up and play. I'd be thrilled. He's, yeah. Over the years, he's been. One of the, you know, the guys that has jumped up and down saying, I want to do it. And yeah. I, I, you know, I want to do it. And then it must have broken his heart to uh, to have them reunite and him to sit at home. Yeah. And I think even when he, when he went up on stage for the two songs, he must have had mixed feelings. No, nah, he seems like a guy that just wants to get up and play. Yeah, but I think he, st- he wants to keep playing. Oh. And he can't. <laughs> 
Hey, he got to play. I know, <laughs> I know, but maybe you can compare it to something like Bill Ward. Bill Ward would never do that. Yeah. He'd, he'd never get up and do one or two songs and piss off. Right. His attitude has always been, I'm either in or I'm not in. Yeah. And, you know, Stevens is okay, I'm okay for a couple of songs, but I think deep down, if he, would, if he were to admit it, he'd like, I, I don't want to play two songs. I want to play five shows, ten shows. You don't know. There could be other stuff that we don't know about there. You could be, you could have, still have some health issues or whatever. You could have issues playing more than a couple songs. Maybe. But I think it's cool for the fans. I think it was in Canada where he got up for, I think he did My Michelle and Out to Get Me or, or one or two of the, uh, the Appetite songs. Uh-huh. Maybe if some of it is uh, as well, he didn't play on... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, a different drumming style and, you know, than... than what was on appetite the stuff that came after that it it, it is different and, you know he may have some some uh, issues you know muscular issues after stroking out and stuff to yeah well i've read his, his book <laughs> and uh, it's a wonder he's still alive you know so i mean that stuff stays with you yeah it also says that maybe a lot of the people in the stadiums don't care who's behind the kid as long as slash and duff and the guys up front yeah and uh and axel are up front they don't really care who's behind like have they got have they got the the back is it like the I mean, use your illusion thing where they've got the backing singers and I'm sure Dizzy Reed is is playing. Oh, I don't know. I, but the thing is, I think that I mean in that regard, you're probably right that there's probably people that don't even like know who the frig the drummer was. <laughs> it's a pity, All right? People that came in after Appetite and stuff too, and they have no idea. Yeah, well, I said on one of the previous shows that I thought it might have been cool that they got Matt Sorum to play because for a lot of people. He was in the videos for, for yeah. the Use Your Illusion record, so, yeah. and he played it on the tours, yeah. or even Gilby Clark. I'm sure Gilby Clark would have jumped at the chance to do it. Like, it's a big big payday for these guys, now, uh-huh. you know? And uh, so they've decided to go Richard Fortas, no disrespect to him, like he's a great player. He is a great player. Um, I mean, Gilby, Gilby was a better fit, because Gilby had that like Stones kind of thing, like Izzy did. Yeah. You know? And so he kind of has that, he kind of bridges that gap. Um, again, yeah, I mean, Rich is a great freaking player. Yeah, he absolutely is. Um, but uh, yeah, it would have been it would have been cool to have Gilby go up. Yeah, like, do you see new music from him at all? I don't with this climate. No, I don't. I don't either. It'd be interesting to see now what Axel does though, because they can tour for so long and then. Yeah, the classic music that GNR made was was made because it was a gang. It was a group of guys who liked being together. They were literally like a gang, you know, and lived together, partied together, wrote songs together. And you got the kind of songs that you got out of them. And that's what people are going to want to expect. And you just can't get that with the way they are now. They live far apart. Um, They all have, you know, really totally separate lives. You don't have the whole kind drug, of drinking, drug. drugging, partying <laughs> group thing anymore because you can't, mm-hmm. and and so it's a totally different, totally different climate for them to write in. Yeah, well, Slash and and um, and Duff are completely sober. Yeah, and they even look back at some of their old videos and cringe at how out of it they were. <laughs> like that band partied hard. Yeah, and um, I can't see them doing new music either. I think do this run of shows. Stop. Maybe they might go out next year, do more shows. Just, I think they might end up like the Rolling Stones now, or, or one of these bands that every one or two years they go out, they play all the hits, yeah, and then they leave it go for a while. Don't even attempt to go near a studio. Go out and play the hits, earn more money, <laughs> pay off the wives, 
and uh, on the ex-wives. Hey, it's a good way to make a living. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but um, some of the ticket sales, I believe, aren't great, though. Yeah. Um, which su- surprises me, but then again, they're, they're expensive tickets. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah which we're not going to get into in <laughs> of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, how about a track of the week? And track of the week comes from the seventh studio album from the band Paradox. That's right. Paradox has been around since 1986. So this year they're celebrating 30 years, put out their brand new one called Pangea out on AFM Records. So uh, it's been about three years since they released their uh, latest one called Tales of the Weird. And uh, they are back again with another... uh, it's, it's thrashy. It's got some uh, some Halford, some King Diamond in there as well. Just a lot of uh, a good mix of uh, great metal sounds from this band. And if you want to find out more about Paradox, you can hit them up at their homepage, which is paradox-bangers.com. But for now, let's play a track off of the brand new one. The track is called The Raging Planet. <laughs> of the week is uh, we fast approach our talk with uh, with Rod Morgenstein. So, uh, yeah, thanks for setting this one up. Another yeah. one that just kind of came out of the blue with. Yeah, Facebook's great. <laughs> I hit up Rod on Facebook and uh, he agreed to come on and, you know, really, I've, I've spoken to three of the winger guys now. We've had Rev on and Kip uh, and now Rod. And being honest, we, we didn't know what to expect from Rod. Yeah. And he was, yeah. Re- he was really good, very talkative. Uh, had some really good stories. Um, so yeah, it was a good conversation. So uh, there's loads of stuff I would have liked to talk to Rod about, but we, yeah, I mean, the guy's we had, had a career to, forever, right? Yeah, we so. had to promote 
the Jelly Jam album. Right. And I've never really heard of Dixie Dregs. You're way more familiar with them. I know Steve yeah. Morse was in them. Oh, yeah. No, they have some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But like Rod's been playing forever. Right. Yeah. And I only re- discovered them with Winger. Right. And that was 88. Uh-huh. And uh, I think Rod's nearly 60 now, so he's, he's got like, probably years before that, and you're way more familiar with him than I am. Yeah, well, like I said, Dregs is cool, and, and that was one of those ones that, uh, you know, when you heard about them and, and um, you know, everyone was starting to pick up on them, but at that point it was really hard to, you know, if the if your record store didn't carry it, it was hard to get a hold of it too, you know. So when you finally were able to, to get a hold of a, of a Dregs album, it was like, wow, holy crap. You know, how, just how popular cool were they? Um, like any other prog band, really. You know, they weren't, they weren't huge. You had to, it was one of those things, like, like being a Jelly Jam fan. Okay. It was the same kind of a thing. What are we talking, late 70s or 80s? Uh, yeah, it started late 70s. Okay. Yeah. And did they, did they break up then or, or what happened? No, they just were all just did different stuff and never really, they could get together anytime and do stuff. Have, they still, never, have they still recorded material? I don't remember the last time stop? Dregs did anything, but then everyone got busy too. Who's the bass player? Oh, hell, I don't remember. I don't know, so I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember. Is it three piece? Or do you have a singer? No, they got a couple of people. It's you know, it was a with the form when they were down in uh, University of Florida. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just familiar with Rod and Steve, right? But um, yeah, cool interview with Rod. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes the drummers are great for talking, and he was good. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, talking's good. It makes audio editing really easy. <laughs> <laughs> the more the artist talks, the, the faster I can edit it. Yeah, there's not a lot of dead air in this, and you had some good stories. And I did get some winger chat in there. Yeah, uh, Mike Shipley. And oh yeah, I, I think what well, every and you time always I, throw everybody off when you bring up Mike. Yeah, every time I talk to someone from Winger, it all, nearly always goes back to the Pull album. And uh-huh. I, I get a lot of comments on Facebook whenever I mention that we had someone on from Winger, and I talked about the Pull record. Yeah, a lot of people say, "Oh, that's my favorite album." Huh. And when is that? Co- when is that going to be posted? I can't wait to hear it. Uh, it's one of these albums that was released in, in 93 after Grunge hit that a lot of people love and it, because of the climate at the time it yeah. got buried yeah. and people are just fascinated with, with that record mm. um, and you know I did ask Rod about it yeah uh, you know Kip obviously lo- loves that record sees Mike as being a guru for him yeah Rev said he was a pain in the ass and you'll hear how he interacted with Rod yeah and it's pretty eye-opening because Rod is a tremendous player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Mike picked up on things that Rod thought wasn't happening. And yeah. it they happened. And uh, just very interesting stories about the pole record. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, that was good. Like I said, every time you bring up uh, bring up Mike Mike Shipley, you get various different reactions from people. and But always uh, always makes people stop and, and like, they're kind of like, it's a kind of a left field question. They don't expect it when you... When you roll out the Mike Shipley question, so. yeah, well, he's been he's been dead a few years now. Mutt Lang's engineer, um, right. you know, he's got great ears, and uh, apparently, <laughs> yeah, and he taught all these guys that we've talked to about him. He's taught them all lessons, right. yeah, that they've taken in, into their career since, yeah, and they have a tremendous amount of respect for the guy. Yeah, that's one thing everyone's always is uh, just the respect of it. Yeah, he definitely gets that from everybody. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, nice chat with Rod. Um, I think we've one drummer left, Yeah, I believe. Yep, and, right now. Uh, <laughs> we'll, hopefully we'll run that soon. So, anyway, this is going to be episode 293. Yeah. Right, yeah. I have 
something in the works for 300 which which is you don't even know this and when he's telling you now Great. it's pretty special uh-huh and two people have agreed to come on uh-huh and when we turn off the mics I'll, I'll tell you what it is okay. and if i get the third guy yeah it's going to be like three 20 minute 25 minute interviews uh-huh about i'll, I'll give you a teaser it's it's an album that was released in 86 that was a game changer and I'll leave you hanging on that. And I think it'll be, if it all happens in time, it'll be nice. Huh. And uh, you're looking at me now, editing, and <laughs> I'm killing you. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I only started on this yesterday. Uh-huh. Wow. And we got about two months to do it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I've tried. Yeah. So. And, and yeah, we, a little, we'll have a little breather in there too, because somewhere in the next few weeks, we'll just have to take a, Take a couple of weeks break too. I think too. We've been uh, we haven't had one since uh, like end of December. Well, you haven't. You do so. you do all the groundwork for the show. I I just schedule the interviews. <laughs> so if you tell me you want a break, that's fine with me. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, probably have one of those coming up sometime in the next few weeks. Yeah, I don't blame you because when you look at a lot of these podcasts, um, some of them are they think they go out with the intention of doing them every week. Yeah. And then there's the realization of how much effort it takes to do it. Yeah. And like you edit 50 shows a year, 40, 48 to 50, I'd yeah. say. And some of the guys end up one one every week and then they'll skip a week yeah. and then they'll do one and then they'll do one the th- three weeks after that. And before you know it, it's every six weeks and then they're gone. Yeah. So I'm doing the show four years in September and you've been pretty consist- consistent at doing the, doing the show every yeah. 48 weeks of the year so. You know, kudos to you, but you know you're still putting up with me. <laughs> but uh, that's easy. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, up with me, that's the problem. Yeah. Ah, uh, uh, no, that's not true. But um, yeah. So if it all works out for 300, it's amazing, isn't it? 300 shows. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's weird. Like that's like for some reason that's a like a a big thing with netcasts is is hitting 300. I have no idea what it is. It was. Long before I started doing this, but shows always felt like that was a the, the big milestone was hitting 300. Um, even it was a running joke with uh, with sick and wrong that they were that's all they were going to do was 300 and then call it a day. Um, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what why like 300 is this like special number for for shows. Well, I think it is for something like our show because we don't do this for money. Yeah. So to to do three hundred shows shows that you love the music and you yeah. actually love doing this. I just feel it's like weird. It's like okay, you can maybe the hundredth show. Okay, I get that one. Like your five hundredth show. Okay, but then like the so the, every show celebrates three hundred. Some reason you don't really get much for two hundred or two fifty or anything like. That. It's like a hundred, three hundred. It's just weird. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many shows on um they used to be on the old cast iron ring. Yeah, I've done three hundred. Has John Caddick done? Has Iron City Rocks done three hundred? Uh I don't know. Wonders any of them done three hundred? Probably has. Yeah, I think he has. Well, Bob hasn't because he's he's, oh, no. he's doing one a year at this yeah. stage with the Inside Metal. Yeah, but um, some of the other shows maybe. Yeah, I think Radioactive Metal passed three hundred. Okay. Um, Mars Attacks? No. How often does um, Victor do his? Yeah, no, Victor hasn't gone past. I know Decibel Geek's not on it. They've probably done 300. A lot of Kiss shows. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> they have the Christmas in July going on at the moment, which is no. a cool, cool yeah. idea. 
Yeah, they do that every year. Yeah, they're still yeah. looking for Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. Can't find him. <laughs> <laughs> they need to start looking under rocks. <laughs> he's under the rock with hiding from him. <laughs> he's he's uh he's hiding under a rock near near Michael Wagner's studio trying to steal song ideas. Yeah. <laughs> There's another clue about the album. Michael okay. Wagner. Anyway. Anyways, all right. Um so what do you say? Let's uh let's roll this uh interview we do with Rod. Sure. All right. Richie? Yeah. Hi, Rod. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm here with my uh, co-host, Scott. How you doing, Rod? Hey, Scott. How are you? Okay. So where, where are you based, Rod? Are you still in the Boston area? Uh, no, I am on Long Island. Oh, Long Island. Yeah, we're in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> how far is Lowell from um, uh, Boston? Well, 30 miles. Right. Yes, I spend... You know, a couple days a week, 30 weeks a year up there at Berkeley. Yeah. How long have you been doing that now, Rod? 18 and a half years. Wow. Same thing all the time? Uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, I'm working in the percussion department, um, working with um, aspiring young drummers. <laughs> do a lot of um, young students, when they come in, do they actually know your background? Uh, quite a few do, yeah. Okay. Which is nice. So, but, um, you know... There's always the occasional hilarious story, and this is a true story. Several years ago, student comes into his first lesson, and um, you know the first lesson with a student, I always hand them a sheet to fill out so I can get some information about them, uh, what what their interests are, who some of their favorite bands are, favorite drummers, and so this one student. Uh, had written down, I mean, believe it or not, uh, you know, one of his uh, favorite bands was um, Platypus, right? Which is, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, this obscure project that I did with John Mayung and Ty Tabor and Derek Sherinian um, whenever we did that first record, maybe late 90s. And so, um, so when I saw he had written Platypus, I said, wow, I can't believe it. You like Platypus? He goes, oh my God, yes. And I said, yeah, well, uh, you know, maybe we can, you know, have you play along to, you know, a couple of the songs, um, you know, because I have the click track versions from when I recorded the drums on it. And so the kid looks at me and he goes, are you telling me that you are that Rod Morgenstein? <laughs> and, and it's one of the funniest stories to me because I don't know that there's anybody else in the world with that name. I mean, you know, like... <laughs> You know, John Smith, yes, but <laughs> Rod Morgenstern, you know, and even if if there were some other people with that name, like what would the, what would be the odds that they played drums? <laughs> yeah. And so he truly was taken aback. He couldn't believe it. He just thought his teacher had the same name. Oh. And was he, was he any good when he played to the played to the tracks? I I can't remember. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I can't remember this particular. <laughs> when you first started at Berkeley, was uh, was Jack's drums still in the neighborhood at that point? It sure was. Oh, do you miss that place or what? It was nice. It was great, great place to go in and just, I mean, to, to have a place where you could go in and have drummers drumming and jamming out with other drummers and doing counterpoints and all that. It was great to just go in there 
and hang out and just listen to all that stuff. Just, I really miss that place. Yeah, it was nice. It was like, you know, your neighborhood candy store or soda shop, you know? Yeah, it was like that little little chunk of like, you know, 49th Street of New York in Boston because they, they would just have stuff stuffed everywhere as well. It was like almost being in Manny's and you'd go and you'd ask for like the most obscure thing and they'd be like, oh yeah, we got that. Take a little <laughs> while to dig it out, but they'd bring it out. So yeah, great. Oh, I just, I miss that place so much. Do you have a wingnut for a premier 1967 tripod symbol boom stand? You know, yes, yeah. we do. We happen to have one. What, what was it, Rod? eBay before eBay? Way before. Rod. <laughs> well, yeah. the thing is, I mean, I mean, I mean, sure, Rod knows. I mean, a lot of times, a lot. Of, it comes down to like you get a snare and you get this really special snare and. And it could be a snare from like the 40s or something, but it's got the sound. But you always need to have some little part of that snare that's missing. It's like guaranteed. And you go down to Jack's and they'd be like, oh, yeah, we got that. And you'd be like, you're kidding me. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Those kinds of shops are, are far and few between now, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything's given way to the mega store. You know, and the big boys put the little boys out of business. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the bummer because you know around Berkeley now it's 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 Guitar Center and, and that's it. I mean, you, there's you know Daddy's is out of there now and it's just really just Guitar Center. It's it's yeah, just kind of really odd. True. Yeah, yeah. So so of course, Rod, we're here to talk about uh, the great new Jelly Jam record, Profit. Um, I'll be the first to admit uh, it's been a while since you did an album. Um, I didn't think you'd actually do another one. Were you actually surprised when you actually scheduled this one to be done? Uh, definitely not surprised. Um, you know, um, John and Ty and I enjoy each other's company. Um, and so, you know, we had done Shall We Descend, the previous recording. I can't believe it's been five years since that one came out. And we did that one at, you know, cutting the drums and bass and, and some of the guitars at John My Young's house. He lives in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, we'd gotten together however many years ago that was, maybe six or seven years, uh, spent a week on maybe two different occasions. And, uh, you know, as soon as we complete one album's worth of drums and bass and rhythm guitars or, you know, the initial guitar track, we, we're already talking about when we might want to do the next one. So uh, I think in our minds it's like we were always going to have this project band uh never quite sure if we were ever you know going to be able to get it together to be a live touring entity mm -hmm. um the other thing with that is i think all three of us up until this record being handed in you know three months ago or whatever to the record label we always thought of the jelly jam as this you know nice alter ego quote-unquote project band and now um, we've dropped the project and we just are thinking of ourselves as, hey, it's a band, you know. So for John My Young, he plays in Dream Theater and the Jelly Jam. And for Ty Tabor, he plays in King's X and he does his solo stuff and the Jelly Jam. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that'll really be solidified uh, once we get our butts out on the road um, and you know, find the three of us looking at each other on a stage facing a crowd for the very first time, six albums into doing these recordings, you know, the first two platypus. And now this is the fourth jelly jam record. It started 
somewhere around 1998 or 1999. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, at least you'll have a wealth of material to pull from to play in a concert. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. You know, you know, it hit, it hit the three of us when um, about three weeks ago, you know, we decided, you know what, instead of waiting uh, until the week before the first gig to get together and start seeing what it's going to feel like, why don't we do it sooner than later? And so three weeks ago, we got together for five days and uh, started pounding out songs. And, you know, we realized we were pulling, you know, a handful of songs from each of the four recordings. And it's like, holy cow, all of us remember when each of our bands put out its first album. And then you don't really have a concert's worth of strong material. Mm. And uh, the Jelly Jam, it's going to be amazing. There's so much cool stuff uh, between the four albums. Yeah. Now, the writing of this one, um, do you guys get in a room and actually jam the stuff out? Or does uh, does Ty come in with more or less fully completed songs or John or maybe you yourself? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting process where at this point, we never come in with completed anything. Each of us, has tidbits of either licks or chord changes or a drum groove. And uh, we'll kind of say to each other, hey, check this out. What do you think of this? You know, And, um, and it, the creative process is, is fascinating to me because you, know, you, you get together and there are just these little, little snippets of ideas. And then by the end of a day, uh, this idea has turned into almost a full-blown, organized song with an intro, verses, choruses, bridges, middle sections, solo sections. Every song, you know, I don't. Not every song has a has a different way of coming together, but there's a handful of different ways that things happen. Uh, you know, going back to the. the first Jelly Jam record, I had gotten it in my head, like, I think it'd be really cool if I could just create like uh, a handful of interesting drum grooves that don't sound like anything, that are just these standalone, one-of-a-kind, interesting beats. And, you know, on my long drives to and from Boston, I'd set the cruise control and spend hours coming up with a, a two- or four-measure pattern uh, that I thought was really unique. And so then when we finally got together to do the first three-piece band recording, you know, after Platypus, I just remember, you know, back then they were coming to my house and they'd, they'd kind of hang out here. And I said, guys, what do you think of this groove? Any, any, any ideas come? And uh, two particular songs that evolved beginning with an unusual drum groove are the songs uh, I Am the King, and um, I can't help you.
which is really cool. We'll we'll be doing them uh, on the tour um, with Prophet. None of the songs started with a drum groove, uh, as I as I can remember. They were more like, you know, John saying, "Hey, can I play you guys? You know, just I have a recording of bass lines, little bass line ideas." So he did that, and then that would kind of spur ideas, uh, and I played a couple of things on piano uh, and strummed a couple of things on guitar, and and some of those things were the beginnings of songs, and then and then Ty always has some little guitar snippets that he plays, and goes, what do you guys think? Yeah, and then you know, and then so we each sit down on our instrument and jam things out a little bit, and they just start evolving. It's it's a really interesting process. Yeah, it is. It's actually, it's it's kind of wild to hear you say that none of the songs on the new one really started with a drum groove. Because I know for me, songwriting, that's like so just inbred into how I write songs. was always sitting down with the drummer and picking up off of that. And as soon as I got a good groove, it's like, boom, just, you know, a riff or a line or something happens there that that spins off into into a whole song within a very short period of time. So to to think like like no no drum grooves as the germination of a song just it just sounds so bizarre to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, from from record to record the processes are are not necessarily the same. Hmm. Um but I do know, you know, like a lot of musicians, you know, will sit down at their little home studio and then either bring up a stock drum groove or program a one-measured groove that just keeps going, and then they'll jam and jam and jam until something interesting comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I actually just invested in uh, in a Beat Buddy, just uh-huh. just for that, because it's, it's, it's that's a nice foot-controlled drum machine where you can... I don't know if you're familiar with the Beat Buddy at all? I, no, I'm not. No, so it's a stomp box, but what it's got is it's got... Uh, it's got all kinds of pre-programmed grooves and styles in there, and so you you hit it once and you get an intro, and you have so many bars. You hit it again, and it goes into more or less a verse, and then you hit it again, and you'll get a chorus groove, and you and, you, and go back and forth. So you can go through parts just by you know jamming along guitar or bass, and then just tap in your part, and you've got a a whole bunch of styles you can choose from. So it's actually a it's great for timing for one but it's also just a great little inspirational tool as opposed to sitting there and trying to compose a drum groove just you know in the air and then try to jam with it after this is just a it's a quick way to sit down with you know a guitar or bass and just go somewhere uh interesting don't worry though it won't replace you so it's you know Uh, you know what um the drummer will never totally be replaced i mean you know in the 80s it got a little scary for some people, for maybe like studio guys that used to be called in or were used to being called in to play a lot of the same stock, you know, cliche, but very, you know, very effective drum grooves. Uh, drum machines were doing it perfectly, mm. you know, but that's sort of kind of, you know, I don't think it's anywhere near as big as it used to be in terms of, um, you know, uh, when it comes down to making the record, mm-hmm. most people want a live drummer in there. That's right. To get to get the human feel in there. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you talk about the '80s, and uh, I'll tell you, it's kind of a funny story. But the drummer that I drum with, like from high school, and then for years and years afterwards, uh, very much into like the Beatles and that whole style, and was never really a, a power drummer. And uh, so, like our songs always kind of get crafted around that, as opposed to a lot of the other bands and. All of a sudden, he started evolving 
as he started getting to, to hear like a lot of other bands like Y&T and, and those bands. And, but he wasn't evolving that way. He was evolving in this other kind of a different style. And, uh, and one day I'm like, Jeff, you know, what, what's the deal here? Like, I can, it's, I like where you're going with a lot of these new riffs and phrasings. And there's a little bit more of a swing and there's some, some other kind of proggy stuff happening in there. And he goes, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm really listening to this guy, Rod Morgenstein. And I'm like, <laughs> from, from the dregs. And he looked at me like totally blank, the who? And I'm like, the Dixie dregs, yeah, Rod from the Dixie dregs. And I mean, cause this kind of reminds me back to your story of like, you're that Rod Morgenstein. And he's like, right. no, no, this Rod Morgenstein from winger. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. He plays for Winger too. He's like, oh, same guy. I'm like, yeah, go back and listen to the Dregs. And uh, but it just on that time period when everybody was again drum machines and all that to to have the guy that was playing drums with me kind of find a unique place in in what you were doing then and and you know a lot of uh, little you know a, a different drum style than a lot of the drummers were doing. You were you were going in your own direction and uh, and you listen back and you definitely you you have that signature sound. So it was it was cool for for me to actually play with a drummer that that picked up a lot of that stuff that you brought in as opposed to just kind of the again this that's drum machine or just very homogenized you know right let's let's get this thing down let's do a four four beat and and uh, put a wheelie wheelie solo over it and call it a song kind of a thing sure sure um you know with winger it was such an interesting audition when I walked in and you know the first thing Kip winger did when he walked over to me with his bass, he just started pumping eighth notes, you know, like, dunk, 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 dunk. And I was so determined uh, to not, you know, scare him off or give him the wrong impression. So I just laid down, you know, like a, you know, just the most basic hard-hitting drum groove of, you know, the bass drum on one and three, the, the snare on two and four with an eighth note ride pattern. It was just like, boom. And I, I didn't do anything else. I didn't do a drum fill or anything. And, um, you know, after 30 seconds or so, he stopped and he said, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm playing what, what I think is appropriate. You're pumping eighth notes on the bass. And he said, okay, okay, yeah, 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 I see. You know, you're hitting the drums hard. feels really good. But, you know, Red Beach, uh, our guitarist, told you know told me you come from this other you know like a jazz rock fusion background so can you do some of the crazy stuff that you're known for in that side of things and i said well i'm intentionally not doing it because a lot of rock musicians would be turned off by it or scared away and he said no 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 i see you know you you can do the rock thing but now let me see you try to lose me so i said oh my god sure and so then, you know, went off and did a whole bunch of over-the-top stuff, polyrhythm things, breaking up the time. And, um, I, you know, I asked him afterward, I said, I'm just curious, why are you even interested in that kind of drumming? And he said, look, you know, rock bands dominate the Billboard charts. So if you look at, a, you know, the top 20 in Billboard on any given day, you're going to see, you know, you'll see Madonna and Michael Jackson and a couple of other people like that, but then you're going to see Def Leppard, Kiss, um, Bon Jovi, Poison, Cinderella, just keep going down the list. And he said, um, you know, to try to get a record deal, you have to play the game. So you want to hold on to your integrity, you know, and the core of who you are, 
but you have to kind of do your research and see, you know, what is it that's getting bands signed? And so, obviously, we have to have elements of those kinds of bands in our music, but, but you also have to have things that separate you from everybody else. So wouldn't it be cool, you know, to be lumped in with the Bon Jovis and Def Leppards and bands like that, but have a drummer who at certain points in the music can do things that the drummers in that genre either just don't do, or it's just not part of their repertoire or, you know, they've never, they've never kind of been Mm. in that kind of thing. So I said, yeah, I love it. Awesome. And so, so I was asked to, um, to join winger as much for my fusion background as for, uh, my being able to, or at least I, you know, fit the bill in terms of hitting hard and doing the rock thing. Yeah. Well, when you listen to the new album, Rod, the prophet, um, on first impressions, it's like, it's got, it's got Ty's lush harmonies on his guitar strokes, but there's a lot going on underneath it all. It's only after when you listen to it a couple of times, you, you really get a sense of like, what's actually gelling the whole song together. And like the one that sticks out for me is, is perfect lines. Like there's so many different parts to that song. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the thing, and you, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head to me, the thing about the jelly jam is that if you know nothing about music, if you're just, you know, a rocker who likes rock bands, you can listen to most of the Jelly Jam's music and just bash your head and tap your feet and go, yeah, this band, this is a cool rock band. But if you're a musician, in pretty short order, you will be aware that there's a little bit more than meets the eye going on. And so that, to me, is what is really special about the band. It can be enjoyed and appreciated on both levels. If you don't know anything about music, it says, yeah, check it out. This is a real cool, whatever, you know, hard, hard rocking band. But the musician is like, ooh, whoa, what the hell was that? I think I got to listen to that a few more times to figure out what's going on.
Yeah, and as well as that, Rod, the songs are pretty short. So like they're not they're not like eight or nine minutes where there could be a lot of a lot of um, muso stuff going on in them like like you know some of the other bands. Okay, so yeah, you know that that kind of leads into uh, an interesting discussion where like I read one of the reviews to the record to the new record and it was on a prog site, you know, and the person said, "Yeah, perfect lines. That's what I'm talking about. You know, why can't they do more of that kind of stuff?" And so um. Here's the bottom line. You know, John My Young has no interest in having another prog rock band. <laughs> he's he's got that covered in Dream Theater and their 10-minute excursions into insanity. <laughs> and that's and that's wonderful, but you know, each of the three of us in this band, they want the Jelly Jam to kind of be its own thing. And um so there'll be a little bit of progressive leanings here and there, but that's not what our intent was when we put the band together. It's more like, let's be a cool rock band that is basically, you know, a vocal-oriented group with cool riffs, but relatively short songs where occasionally some of them venture into the, you know, that weird progressive territories. And so I remember before we gave final approval to the record label on all the artwork and, you know, the packaging, they sent us a mock-up version. And I, I, I don't know, like when you got your copy of the CD, you know, on the front, uh, you see, you know, where it says the Jelly Jam Prophet featuring rock heavyweights, mm. you're, you're, the sticker. Yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't, we didn't say, hey, call us rock heavyweights. That was a label. But that's not what the original sticker read. It went, you know, you know featuring prog rock, whatever's and we 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 call them up and you know yelling and screaming going we are not a prog rock band <laughs> get that word out of there yeah. you know because because it's misleading yeah. you know we don't want we don't want every dream theater fan or porcupine tree or whoever going oh yeah here we go let's hear the prog you know the new prog jelly jam wreck and then they put it on and a lot of it is just you know more like, I don't want to say easy listening, but, you know, more like, cool, you could tap your foot. I know it's in 4-4. A lot of, you know, Prague lovers, they don't like when the songs are just in 4-4. It's like, that, you know, they want it suddenly to go into the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
in the guitar playing where he'll do the shredding, but you know, it's not going to be, you know, the so, yeah. So can I just ask you a question about uh, the, the kit? Because I saw a clip on, uh, on YouTube and your drum kit had the winger four bass drum. Is that the kit that you had used around that time? Did you use that kit for this record? Yes. That's, and, and that's the kit I'm going to use uh, on, on this tour. I mean, I'm making some, there should be little, little additions in terms of, you know, symbols and the, the other kinds of things. But the front bass drum head will be the profit. Okay. Okay. And before I let you go, Rod, I can't, I can't let you go without asking about um, Mike Shipley. Uh, we had Kip on the show and Reb and we both asked him about working with Mike on, on the Pull album. And Kip said it was like a whole new, it opened his mind completely to a whole new way of recording. And Rev said he was a pain in the ass, but he said it in a humorous way because he was he was so particular about stuff. Like, what are your memories of working with Mike on that record? Um, well, first of all, like we were a bit in awe knowing that Mike, you know, had had been Mutt Lang's engineer for ten years or something. And I had first heard Shipley's work by a band from England, and I can't it's called Strange Ways. Oh yeah. That's right? uh, that goes, that goes back to like 1986. Yeah, and Terry Brock is a singer. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know that Terry Brock sang and played second guitar uh, in the Steve Morse band when we toured with Rush on their Power Windows tour? Oh, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> because, you know, because uh, the, uh, the Steve Morse band album that we toured for in that year, it was 85 and 86, was an album called Stand Up. And and on that Steve Morse band album, we had um, Alex Lidgertwood sing a song. Uh, Alex was the singer from Santana for doing the song "I'm Winning," and then Albert Lee mm. sang and played guitar on one of the songs, and then Eric Johnson played guitar and sings on one of the tunes, and Steve Walsh from Kansas sings the backgrounds on the song that Alex, Alex Lidgertwood sings on, and so when we were invited by Rush to do three months of the Power Windows tour, we wanted to do a couple of the vocal tunes. And so since none of the three of us in the band sang, somehow Terry's name was floated around because uh, we were all living in and around Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where Terry was living. So somebody hooked us up with him, and he was such a perfect fit. Um, he now... Uh, does occasional records with uh, John Roth, you know the other guitarist yeah. winger. Yeah, yeah. So they they do records for Frontiers. Okay. That the Italian record label. Oh, the um, Giant or not Giant? giant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, um, actually, uh, so Terry and John were working together recently, and they called me up or they were texting me. So it's so funny that, that you're mentioning Terry. But um, you know, getting back to Mike Shipley, I remember. A week or so before flying from Long Island out to California to cut the drums for that Winger album, Pull, um, Shipley called me, and uh, it was an interesting conversation because he said, all right, Rod, I just want you to know that I recently worked with Simon Phillips, and, you know, he's an incredible drummer, but... Um, I just want you to understand that we're trying to make a rock record here. And um, I hope, you know, you will be coming with an open mind 
because I don't want fusion licks all over the place. I just want you to hit the drums and play relatively simple. What do you say? And so I said, Mike, you know, I'm very excited to work with you. I'm always, uh, you know, into hearing other points of view, and you certainly have a track record, and I'm looking forward to, you know, us having one of the best-sounding albums that any of us have ever recorded on. And so I, I think everything's going to be fine. And he said, uh, you know, like, for instance, I don't want to hear ghost strokes on the drums all over the place. And so, you know, for people who aren't drummers, a ghost stroke is a very quiet tap on the snare drum that can be a very effective technique for making a drum groove sound more dramatic. And, like, the perfect example of a ghost stroke is in, uh, like, when you hear um, Babylon Sisters, you know, Bernard Purdy hmm. playing that Bernie, Purdy shuffle and Jeff Picaro, you know, does a similar groove on Rosanna where you hear these little tiny taps in the background and they can lift a groove tremendously. And so I said, yeah, no problem. No ghost strokes. You don't want ghost strokes. Fine. So a week later, there I am in the studio. I'm sitting there getting ready to cut the first song, you know, and Mike goes, all right, let's do blind revolution. Which, is, which turned out to be the first song on the album. And it's one of these slow, mid-tempo, you know, so, you know, he wants boom, and uh, he's looking at me through the double-pane glass, you know, where I'm in the, in the studio, he's in the control room, and he goes, all right, Rod, hit the drums really hard, no ghost strokes. I go, no problem. You're not going to hear one ghost stroke. So about 10, 20 seconds into recording, he gets on the talk back and he goes, uh, Rod, I'm hearing ghost strokes. I said, I didn't play one ghost stroke, Mike. So he goes, all right, why don't you come into the control room and listen to all the ghost strokes that you didn't play? <laughs> <laughs> so I go into the control room and he, he plays back what I played and there were ghost strokes everywhere, all right? So I was mortified, and so here I was, you know, 30 years into being a professional drummer, 20 years into being a professional musician, and uh, there it was, loud and clear, like, oh, my God, I guess I am not aware that I play ghost strokes all the time. And so it's very difficult on the spot to suddenly deconstruct the way you play to, to try to like accommodate the situation. And so the only way I was able to not play ghost strokes was every time I slammed the snare on the backbeat, I would hit the snare and I'd have to raise my arm in the air to get my, my right hand. I play the snare with my right hand. I had to raise my hand and arm to get it away from the snare so I wouldn't throw in a couple of ghost strokes. <laughs> it was very, very awkward, but it was the only way to get through it.
Yeah, Reb was saying that he'd strum his guitar a couple of times and Mike would say, stop, stop, you're rushing. And he'd like, no, I'm not. He said, you're rushing. He said his ears, he said his ears were unbelievable. He just picked up everything. Yeah, he was a special guy. And, and in the end, you know, all of us to this day feel like that record is one of the best sounding recordings any of, any of us have ever done, not just in Winger, but I mean with everything each one of us individually and collectively have ever recorded together. Yeah, it's probably my favorite Winger record. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. So uh, before we let you go, we'd like you to just get out all your different, uh, you know, website, Facebook, all your social media contacts. I mean, obviously, people are going to want to delve in more into what uh, what Rogan what ugh, what I can uh, I can talk what Rod Morgenstein is doing these days so why don't you uh, roll out all those wonderful social media links oh my god um well let's see uh you know I don't know what the specific you know titles are but you know the jelly jam has a facebook page and winger has a facebook page and I have my own personal facebook page and my own personal website and I I'm I'm told I have a Twitter account. I just don't know how to access it. <laughs> I am so far behind the information technology curve, and one day I will get with the program. Yeah. So, because I, it, it is what runs the world, you know? It is. Yeah. So, Rod, of course, you're out on tour at the end of July, so um, we're hoping to go to the date in Arlington up here. So how many dates are you doing? Are you doing a good run of shows? Um, you know, I... I you know, we're trying to do three weeks of stuff for starters, maybe a little bit more. And um, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to have so much fun doing this that um, the three of us are going to then be looking into our calendars and figuring out where we have those pockets of, of open, you know, days in our schedules where Ty's not with King's Agnes and John's not with um, Dream Theater and I'm not with whichever one of my bands and to try to um, take this thing global. Uh, you know, with all these bands, you know, we, we all have a presence on different levels uh, all throughout Asia and Europe and South America, you know, as well as North America. And so we're, we're really hoping that, uh, that this thing can kind of move from having been the project band that occasionally puts out a record to like a, you know, like a bona fide regular band that puts out a record every couple of years and hits the road to bring the music to the people. Nice. I really feel like, like it might happen. And for me, you know, um, I'm the older guy, the oldest of the three in the band. And, you know, I've been like touring since 1975 when I started full time with the Dixie Dregs. And it's, it's very, very exciting at this stage of the game, you know, like 40 years into doing it to have this new touring entity mm. you know and so um I, i've always felt young inside i mean i think most musicians have that part of them that still feels like a kid but uh, but you know being in this band with these with these two wonderful human beings and incredible talents it's like breathing new life into me you know and just making me want to continue on and, until I drop dead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully I'll, sometime I'll run into you around Berkeley. Uh, Sounds good, yeah. 
Awesome. It'd be wonderful. Awesome. Okay, Rod. So thanks for uh, giving us some time tonight, and hopefully we'll see you next month when you're out on the road. All right. Thanks, guys. Really All right. appreciate All right, it. Rod. Thanks. Bye. Right, bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That is a wrap for another week of Focus on Metal. As usual, you can keep up with us at uh, focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. You can talk to Richie on Facebook. Uh, keep up with us as well as uh, on uh, on Twitter. So uh, any other last words before we get out of here? Well, the bands are out there now playing live shows, yeah. support live music. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, bands come near your area, go see them. They yeah. mightn't be around yeah. again. Oh, yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And keep your cell phones at home, please. Don't ah. be sticking them up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So uh, so that's it. Stick a fork in it. This one is done. So uh, for Richie, myself, everyone here at Focus on Metal, have yourself a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.